You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. One more gift uh, to give out. And um, this is one I wish... Um, Mike and Becky, we could uh, do this on a day that is not a holiday Sunday because I know that there are a lot of people who love you that are not in the room and I know that you hate the attention. So I'm not gonna make you walk here. I'm gonna come to you. But we printed for you guys uh, a couple of little canvases and, um, oh, I'm going to get choked up. Uh, that's not supposed to happen to point two. I'm going to take these, Marina. Thank you. There. Um, the first is uh, just us worshiping together at the farmhouse. And then, Mike, I love this. This was you closing out uh, our last service at the farmhouse. So, big hand. Thank you, guys. We love you. Love you guys so much. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. All right, now into the main event. Everybody, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. As you turn there, if you forgot to bring your Bible, that's completely fine. We've got them tucked into the chairs. If you don't have a Bible, please, please, please take that home with you and let it be our blessing to you. We want that to be our gift to you. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to rock and roll. Let's pray together. Father, I have very high expectations for this morning, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I have very high expectations because I know that you are here with us. I know that you're here with us because we are gathering around your word. People who have given their hearts and their lives to you are gathering as a corporate body, the church, which you gave your life for, which you shed your blood for, which you created and had in your mind from the foundations of the world this moment. And so, God, I have huge expectations. I have expectations for marriages that are in trouble. I have expectations for things that are going on at home where there are problems with children. I have expectations for people who are dealing with financial issues. I I have expectations that people who may not know you or think that they do but are not actually believing in Christ would today. And I expect, God, that you are going to show up and that you would reveal your word to us in such a way that we're not reading it so much as it is reading us. God, would you give us eyes to see your word and ourselves side by side? And then would you give us hope? It's what Advent is all about. It's what the coming of your son is all about. Light piercing darkness, sound cracking through the silence. As glory is proclaimed about the redemption that comes through your son. May we be a people who cling to and expect your redemptive work in us this morning. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys. So what we're going to do, typically we work through books of the Bible. For Advent, what we're going to do is we're going to do things slightly different. Um, For the next four weeks, we will be looking at the Christmas story, but we're going to be looking at the Christmas story in light of songs that all of us, for the most part, know and sing. Now, let me tell you why. The reason is one thing that is inescapable when it comes to Christmas are the sounds, right? Your radio's changed long before Thanksgiving. Your, your Spotify or your Apple Music, different things started populating into the top of your recommended listening list. You can't leave a department store without hearing a silver bell. Sound is a part of Christmas, and it ought to be. 
because God inaugurated the Advent and Christmas with the sound of a multitude of angels singing out on a hilltop on a lonely day. And so that's what we're going to look at. And as we do, here's my hope. Uh, If you would go ahead and and put up Hark the Herald Angel Sings. These are all of the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angel Sings. There's no way for me to walk through every one of them. But what I want us to do is I want us to take this song and I want us to take God's word and slam them together. So for the rest of this season and the rest of your life, when you hear this song, when you sing this song, there is so much Bible packed into it that you cannot help but worship the one about whom it is written. All right, that's my goal. Hey, Stokes, did you know this was written to the tune of Amazing Grace? How amazing is that? Yeah, uh, George Whitfield changed it to what we know today. Uh, but Charles Wesley, he's a pretty big deal, started the Methodist Church. Maybe you've heard of it. He's the one who actually penned this. And the dude was a monster when it came to hymns. He wrote, we're guessing, like people don't even know. That's how you know he was serious about it. People are like, not even know, but a lot. They think something like 6,500 hymns. Go ahead and just do the math, okay, on what that means for you on the weekly for the rest of your life. So this is what we're going to look at. And now let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and we're going to put these things side by side. Let's read together. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel, there's just one at this point, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. In case an angel showing up isn't enough, this is going to be a sign for you. You will find a baby. I, I'm sorry, I lost my time. This would be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then there's a shift. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, countless beyond number, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let me just tell you what blows my mind about this text. It blows my mind that, first of all, an angel shows up. That's awesome. But then when the multitude of angels show up, look again at what they say. This is in verse 14. In verse 14, here's what we read. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who's he in this? God. Yes, way to go. Bonus points. It's talking about God. Do you see why this is a crazy scripture to me? Who on earth is God pleased with at this moment? Jesus has not died. He has not saved sinners. He has not, let's use a couple of really big churchy uh, words. He has not provided justification by his death on the cross. In other words, everyone is still in their sin. Everyone is still just like you and I are. I'm assuming you're just like me. You know what runs through your head. You know the stuff you say. You know the stuff that you say that you only say on the inside because you're not going to say it on the outside, but you still definitely said it on the inside. And the things that you do and the things that you look at, these are the people that God shows up, these rough shepherds on top of a hill, and he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who on, in heaven and who on earth is God pleased with? That's the question. How is this even remotely possible? Now, Santa, on the other hand, is every other religion. All right? Now, look, I, I am, I'm not a Santa basher. I'm not. Not at all. Okay? Love the season. But Santa is every religion man has ever come up with. Is it not? Is every religion not a list of nice and a list of naughty? Is it not you trying to get from one list to the other? That's what, that's what Santa is. Now, I'm not saying you need to go into your department stores with uh, a, a sledgehammer or uh, a, a Molotov cocktail. That's not what I'm advocating. But what I am advocating is let's own what our culture is. Our culture is what humanity has always been and always will be apart from Christ. And that is, how can I be good enough, nice enough, clean enough, whatever enough, so I can feel good enough about me, so that I can be confident about tomorrow? And then God comes onto the scene and he says, time out, just so you know, if there is a nice and a naughty list, all the names are on one They're all written in this thick black ink with one exception written in red. And that one exception written in red had to come from heaven to get his name on the list. So how on earth is God pleased with men? Well, let's see. Because is that not a massive thing? Is God pleased with you? Consider that. And this morning, do you believe that God is pleased with you? Because what the angels came to proclaim is that he can be. He actually can be pleased with you. What does that look like? All right, so the angels break the silence. Here's the first thing to notice. If you're a note taker, this is where you're going to lick your pen and go after it. The first thing to notice, the angels break the silence with the glory of God. This was an unexpected thing for the shepherds. The shepherds had been there night after night, year after year, generation after generation for hundreds of years the same hilltop the same stars the same stupid sheep that kept getting in trouble and the same punk wolves that they had to try to give their lives to protect and then out of the blue wham an explosion of light and what do they do do they say glory glory (laughs) what do they do that they freak out They hit the ground, so much so that the first thing the angel says is, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't run away, don't. I've got a message to tell you. And if you run down that hill with the sheep following you, I can't do the job that God gave me to do. It's pretty important to me that I do the job that God gave me to do. So the first thing that the angels say is, fear not. (laughs) You think sitting on Santa's lap is scary? Don't you love that scene? In a Christmas story, all the kids are lined up and they're trying to make sure that they rehearse what they're going to say because they're, okay, now I'm going to follow the parallel here. They're about to go to the throne, sit near the lap of the one who has all of the power for this season to bring them their greatest delights. Can I just tell you that when they got up there, whether they remembered that they wanted a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass and a stock and a little thing that tells time, whether they remembered that or not, a lot of them got there and went, ah, and then they got kicked right down the slide. Okay, do y'all know what I'm talking about or do we need to get a little more TBS subscriptions up in the play? All right. Could you imagine for a minute how different that would be if the kids were not going up to a large guy in a red suit 
but a throne of God covered in glory. Can I just tell you that grown men who fought wolves were terrified at that sight? And they should be, rightly so. And yet, that is not what God gives them a message of. He doesn't give them a message of condemnation or wrath or, or malice. What do we sing? Cut to, cut to our song. This is the second verse. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. This is going to feel like a really hard right turn. Stick with me. I've almost been struck by lightning two times in my life. Once, I was in third grade at Double Church's elementary school. Just like the shepherds, we're just doing life, right? And then all of a sudden, wham, lightning hits the side of our school on our side, the window seal, and sparks fly and the lights go out. I don't remember what happened after that, but I'm sure it was awesome. And we didn't do anything else for the rest of the day. Probably just went and sat in a hall, right? And played heads up, seven up. I don't know. That's what I'm imagining. But the time that I do remember, I was in college and we were playing Ultimate at Britt David Park. Uh, That's the one by Home Depot and Walmart. If we ever go grab coffee, which I'd love to grab coffee with you, I will take you to the spot that this happened because for the rest of my life, I will not forget this. I am on the south side of the field looking north. And as I am looking north on the south, we were all out there. It was a huge storm, but we didn't care. We were in college, right? Like we're making memories. That's what this is all about. And so we're playing and the wind's launching the disc every which way. We're having the best time. And then all of a sudden, the loudest sound I have ever heard to date, the brightest light I have ever seen to date, and lightning came and struck a light pole 40 feet from where I was. Just wham. Everything goes white, everything goes black. And I don't know how to explain it because I didn't pass out or anything along those lines. But there was this moment where nobody knew what was happening. You know, it was one of those check your drawers kind of a moment. It's like, what is happening? And as soon as all of us kind of got our bearings, we looked. And do you know what nobody was doing? Nobody was standing up. No one had to be given instruction. In that moment, all of us were terrified at the light and at the sound, at the power of the lightning, and every one of us hit the ground. John, you remember that? You were there. Okay. We hit there. Am I not telling the story? Am I embellishing at all? This is a true story, all right? Not lying to you. And I remember getting up and looking at bodies strewn out on the field. And when I sing these verses, that's what I think about. I think about shepherds that we're not just moseying along and God shows up and, and they set a little table and say, oh, this is a wonderful thing. No, if lightning, one bolt of lightning did that to me, the glory of God laid them out. And yet God calls them to rise, to rise all ye nations and join the triumph of the skies. The other thing that I love about this verse is there have only ever been two things in all creation that rebelled from worshiping God. Rocks do what rocks do. Frogs croak and jump. Birds fly. And by doing what they were created to do, they worship God, their creator. And yet there were two things in all creation that did not worship God. Anybody want to make a guess at one? Angels and men. Have you thought about that? The only two things that ever rebelled from worshiping God in this moment as God is grabbing human history, this huge knot that has been pulled tight by sin, it is though God is grabbing it and he is pulling and unwinding that knot to set straight what always should have been. That from the beginning, all creatures would worship him and at the coming of his son, we see angels 
which rebelled from him and men which rebelled from him together, praising and rejoicing. Angels break the silence with God's glory first. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Ray Ortland's a pastor. He retired recently and he has this super great quote. I'm gonna read it to you. Consider this. Would you or I have begun this announcement the way the angels did? With glory to God first. Now, he's being tongue-in-cheek here. Obviously, the angels did not understand the importance of relevance and contextualization and meeting felt needs. What about those poor shepherds and their feelings and their families? We, we can't start with glory. We've got to start with peace. No, 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 no. They started with God, not with peace on earth. Why? Because the most relevant message to this sin-ruined world was, is, and always will be glory to God in the highest. Our whole problem is our God neglect. But the best news for sinners like you and me is that whatever we might do, whatever you might do, whatever you have done or will do, God is still God, God is still glorious, and God's glory is supreme over every other reality. Amen? That is amazing. And that is how the angels break the silence with the glory of God. And then they praise him. We, we go on later in the song and we read this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. And the shepherds do exactly what the angels expect. You have seen glory. Now go see glory. And that's what they do. At the very end of our text, that's what we read. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So obviously, the first thing that breaks the silence is the glory of God. Second thing that breaks the silence is a message of peace. Following God's glory is a message of peace. A God who is holy and terrifyingly awesome came to us Consider this in the only way that we could manage for him to come. If God came in all of his glory, we would flee. Even for those of us who are Christians now, I, if God came in all of his glory, in all likelihood, we would run from the power of the holiness of who God is. So what did God do? He came like us, as innocent and as non-opposing as he could possibly seem. His son in the form of a baby. That's how he came to us in the only way that we would dare to approach. So consider this. The shepherds begin by fearing and potentially wanting to flee. So much so that the angels are like, fear not, stay tight. But how do they end after that message? They've gone from fearing God and wanting to run from him. Now to running right to the side of his cradle. So there are tons of movies. This is what Christmas is all about, right? It's a little girl and she has pigtails. It's in like every Christmas movie, right? Except for maybe Elf, right? This is what Christmas is all about. Do you want to know what Christmas is all about? Christmas is all about us no longer running from God, but running to God because he came in a way that we could run to. He came like one of us. He came with flesh so that we actually could run to him. Christmas is all about fear being turned into faith. Christmas is all about our desire to run from 
being turned by faith and the will of God to a desire to run to who God is. We dare to come close to him because he dared to come close to us. I'm going to throw this, uh, throw this up. This is uh, the middle verse of the entire song. It says this, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Now, look, this is old English, but let me break this down for us a little bit. The first line is saying, can you see him? When you think of Christ as a baby, can you see God? I know that he's veiled in flesh. He's veiled and he is humbled. He is coming as innocently as and, and unopposedly as anything could come. But do you see God? Can you hail the incarnate deity? Incarnate is just a really big church fancy word for God coming as one of us. Because he was pleased as a man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. And this is what we read. Stokes, you you kind of primed the pump for us on this. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, look into this. Hark, listen up. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Bonus points to the church store. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Jesus' name is meant for us to understand That he is God with us. And of course, Paul grabs this and he says, okay, so if you're a Christian, what does this mean for you? What does the incarnation mean? Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, have what mind, Paul? How am I supposed to think? Well, like Christ did, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I was reading a quote and it made me tear up. And I'd love to share it with you, but I lost it somewhere along the week. Consider the fact that Jesus was created in the womb he created. That he was held by the hands that he intricately formed. How humble is Christ coming humble to the uttermost? Jesus created the very hands that held him. Last night, we were watching a, uh, a Christmas movie on Netflix, and um, I'm painting a picture for you guys, and then I'm going to tell you how horrible I am. So, here you go. We're watching a Christmas movie. One of my kids has been baking a cake in the back that he wanted to share with the family. Another one is upstairs doing secret presents for his mom, sorry. And he's, he's doing these paintings and pulling out the blow dryer so that he can dry it before she sees. And all of these people are going and they're doing and they're serving other people. My family, they're serving other people. And, and while the movie's on, I'm on my phone and I'm sort of falling asleep here and there. And then the movie closes and I stand up, not because I want to look at this wonderful family that God has blessed me with that I do not deserve. I get up first because I want to get the kids to bed. 
I've got a lot to do. I've got a lot of responsibilities. There are a lot of things that I still need to do on this Saturday morning. And so it doesn't matter that this moment, by God's weird grace, this moment, it looks like a Norman Rockwell painting as I stand up and my entire family with my little, I am not lying, guys, my little broken-legged dog is laying out on a pillow, cuddling up to my son who loves him dearly. The other children are leaning into my wife with her arms around them and one is snuggling up under a blanket and I stand up and I look at that and my first thought is I need to get the kids to bed and it hits me how much look this isn't for everyone I I know that some of you guys are slower moving I want to be like you you're more thoughtful I want to be like you but maybe it's my Enneagram 7 maybe it's my personality I don't know what it is but I'm always just trying to get to whatever's next and Christmas is the worst the list is so long There's so many things to do that in that moment, I got up and was about to rush my kids off to bed when I realized I am not going to have this forever. This moment is a moment. And then I thought about this text. I thought about all the years that those shepherds had just done life. And then one day, God froze time in a moment and he chose to come near to them. That's what the incarnation is. It's God stopping. Can I just argue that he is significantly busier than I am and you are? His to-do list is way longer and his responsibilities far deeper. And yet he saw fit to stop everything and come to you. God came to you. I, I think one of the One of the most amazing things is Jesus could have come with the same glory that the angels did. But he chose not to. And we see this really well in Matthew 8, 24. This is one of my favorite verses on the incarnation. How can Jesus be fully God? Let's hit a little gospel here. How can Jesus be fully God so that he can absorb a God-sized wrath for all people, but be fully man so that he can represent you or I on a cross that we deserve? How can Jesus do that? Part of it is this beautiful, deep mystery that I'm glad I cannot fully understand. But part of it, God paints pictures for us in his word. Matthew 8, 24 tells us this. You probably recognize this story. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Jesus was asleep. Why? Because he was tired. Because like you or I, God put on eyelids that drooped. Because like you or I, the living water thirsted. Because like you or I, the living bread took on hunger. And at this moment, Jesus is in the back of a boat, sleeping Because God is tired. Consider that. And they went and woke him saying, save us Lord, we are perishing. That is the beautiful cry to Christ. That is the same beautiful cry for any of us who in this room need Jesus. And you may be realizing it for the first time. You may be realizing that you've been trying to do life on your own. And Jesus is here. And what do they say to him? Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. This is why a baby was born in a manger many years ago. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. 
Then he, the tired one who was sleeping, rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? Exactly, disciples, you finally got it right. What kind of a man is this? I'll tell you what kind of a man. A man who is fully God and fully man. Tired in the back of a boat. Then he gets up and says, hey, nature, chill out. And nature's like, yes, sir, you made me. I shall obey everything that you tell me to do. That right there we see fully God and fully man put on display. The angels break the silence with a message of peace. That a holy God wants to have a right relationship with a far from holy people. And then finally, the angels break the silence with the, with the glory of God first and foremost. And then a hopeful message of peace. But finally, a promise of reconciliation. Anybody want to guess what reconciliation means? Yeah, to make things right. When, it ha- when, when we talk about our relationships, it means to get things put back together. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this really cool uh, spoken word artist. His name is Propaganda, and he has this thing on the gospel. And he talks about how the reconciliation of Christ is us owing God the breath that he gave us because we used it to curse him. And instead, he used his own breath and gave it up to bring us back to him. A promise of reconciliation. And this brings us all the way back to the beginning. How can God be pleased with shepherds? How can God be pleased with anyone who is so riddled with sin? How can God be pleased with you? Literally pleased with who you are. How was he able to say that? He was able to say it because he was so sure of the perfection of the incarnate son. He was so sure of the willing sacrifice of the incarnate son. He was so sure of the obedience of Christ that though it had yet to happen in human time, God who stands outside of time sees the cross, he sees the grave, he sees the ascension, and he looks at these shepherds and he says, I'm pleased with you. And I'm not pleased with you because you don't cuss, because let's be honest, you do. And I'm not pleased with you because you don't argue with your wife. Mary and Joseph, let's be honest, they were traveling on a donkey, probably didn't go well, even on the way to hear. I'm not pleased with you because of what you've done. I'm pleased with you because of what my son did for you. And I will look through the veil of his flesh to see you if you only desire for him to save me, Lord, for I am perishing. And so that's exactly what we see when we sing this song. Hark the herald angels sings. That it is not a song of wrath. It ought to be. It should be, hark, the angels come with weapons and we all run because we're going to die. That's how the song should actually go. But God, because he loves you. And why does he love you? I don't know why he loves you. I don't know why he loves me. I was praying last night as I was working through my notes. And I'm like, what? I, I didn't do any. I don't deserve. Why do you love me? I don't know why God loves me. He loves me because he is love. He loves me because he sent his son and he wants that to count in my life and in yours to reconcile me to him. And from beginning to end of this song, we see it. We sing this line, with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. And then as we move toward the end, we read, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. As we sing this song, We grab the cradle and the grave 
and we hold them side by side in light of the cross. Just like God did when he spoke to some shepherds with a message that all of us would one day read. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Romans 5 puts it this way. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I do not have this in my notes, but I feel like somebody needs to hear it. If you think God loves you because, you're wrong. God doesn't love you because anything. He doesn't love you because of what you did. He does not love you because of your Sunday school attendance. He does not love you because you went to VBS. He He doesn't love you because you volunteered at a soup kitchen. He doesn't love you because of any of those things. He loves you because he loved you before you were even born or able to do anything. That's why God loves you. And he proves that he loves you by giving you that love before you or any shepherd could have ever done anything to earn it. And he pushes in. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, if Jesus' death brought me into right relationship with God, Do I need to fear that that could one day go away? Paul says, no. If his death brought you into reconciliation, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? The death of Christ on the cross for those who are trusting in him, not their own merit, but saying, Jesus, I want credit for the life that you lived because you offer it to me. It takes a holy God and an unholy being and it slams them together in the death of Christ. And then at the resurrection, it's as though Jesus stands and he comes and he holds those hands together. So as long as Christ is alive, if you have trusted in him, he will hold you to God. And the beauty about that is Jesus is never dying again. He came once to die, but never again. 2 Corinthians 5, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. A disciple is somebody who beholds who God is, believes in his son, and becomes what God has called them to be. This sermon is a heavy behold sermon. There's not a lot of application. There's not a lot of start a prayer journal. There's not a lot of that tucked in because that's not our text. But there is this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, this is 2 Corinthians 5, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, the glory of God may have broke the silence. The voices of angels may have broke the silence. But for those of you in this room who are believers in Christ, we are the messengers he sends to break the silence. We're the ones who walk into messy situations like Jesus did. We're the ones who walk into darkness like Jesus did. We're the ones who come humbly, not having enough power. Though Jesus did, he veiled his glory for a time as Jesus did. We break the silence. Because God has called us to. I want to close with this. The the next to last verse. I think you've got this, Bruner, if you would put it up. It says this. Mild he lays his glory by. Jesus took his glory and laid it aside. And when he laid it aside, he did it for these three reasons. As we sing these throughout the rest of this season... 
I don't know. Are we singing this again, Stokes? Where are you at? Oh, he went to the bathroom. <laughs> That's on video. As we sing these for the rest of the season, I want you to notice these words. Why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate the advent, the arrival? Why do we hail him? Why do the angels say, hark, listen up? Because Jesus was born so that you would not die. Born that man no more may die. Galatians puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, death, by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Jesus died so that you don't have to. Secondly, he was born to raise the sons of earth. It made sense for us in the coming of the glory of God. Even if it's this morning as you're hearing the gospel of his glory preach, for our heads to hit the floor, our hands to hold onto our hair, and us say, flee God, flee, for I can't. But his message to us is fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He was born to raise us. We see this in Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And finally, he was born to give them second birth. He was born to give you a life so much more than this flesh. Every one of us has a jacked up life. If it isn't today, it was yesterday or it will be tomorrow. But Jesus steps into it, not to remove you from it, but to tether himself to you, to come in the form like you, to link arms with you, to hurt like you hurt, to feel like you feel, to cry like you cry, so that you know that God knows that you are not alone, that you have a second birth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This Christmas, all of us likely will open a gift. It is hard to fake it when you get a gift you don't want. Oh, yeah. You know, you, like you have that fake smile. It's the same with Christ. You can't fake loving him. But that's a gift. If you feel like you've been faking your love for Christ, that we're in another Christmas season, you got to figure out how to do all these family things and all these churchy things, and can I just tell you, you don't need to fake anything. Just pray as those disciples did in the boat. Save me, Lord, for I am perishing. But the beauty is the opposite is true as well. When you are given a gift that so greatly lavishes love on you, it is obvious that the person knew you. They knew you better than you know your own self. And you open it. There is no way to hide the joy or the, the jubilation and the exhilaration of that kind of love and that kind of knowing to you. And if that is who Christ is to you, we should be a people who sing. Who sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com.